Welcome to Hong Kong Football Talking Dribble. I'm Nick Day, and as the name suggests, we are here to talk absolute drivel about football. Your opinions, weekly game roundups, and interviews from players and managers. So, let's kick off. Our first overseas guest joining Talking Dribble is Jay Saw. Jay had a short spell in the Aoi League playing and coaching with Azori, and I can't wait to hear his story. Thank you for joining us, Jay, all the way from Korea. It's great having you agree to discussing about the love and passion that you have for playing in the Aoi League and also how much you're missing it. And there's a couple of times we've spoken over the last couple of months about teams and the way that the, the league is running. And due to the COVID break at the moment, it gives us a good opportunity to, to talk and look back, I guess, for when you were playing. My first question is, what football team do you support? <laughs> no, first, first, thank you for inviting me, Nick, on this podcast series, because I have been listening to all of them, like the ones that you have interviewed. I also more or less know them or have been, you know, playing against their teams or, 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 or whatever. So it was really a pleasure, actually, to get back to the memory of all the really exciting times that I had in Hong Kong playing football. Yeah, as you mentioned, also, uh, I know that with you, I've always had very insightful and interesting interactions every time we were speaking about football. So it was really a pleasure and very natural for me to accept your invitation. That's for sure. And to answer your question about the my favorite team at the moment, I have to be patriotist about it. I have to support Tottenham Hotspur for Son Heung-min right now. But traditionally, the team I've always supported because I've always loved their game, but I feel like they have unnatured their games a little bit and their identity is uh, Barcelona, has always been my favorite team. And they're doing quite well at the moment, but as you may or may not know, I'm a Man United fan and currently sitting at the top of the leagues, although I don't believe we deserve it. I'm very um, happy for that too, because, you know, we had another Korean <laughs> legend yeah. for Man U for a long time. And, and back then I was for Man U. <laughs> so yeah, I was he was a player more the club. One of my favourite players, actually. Yeah. Jay, when you turned up at Hong Kong, I always start with this question because it always interests me. When you arrive in Hong Kong, my experience, uh, it was kind of very different. I, I actually found it quite difficult. When you arrived in Hong Kong, did you have connections here before you got set up or did you just, you know, Google what teams are playing and, and then through work or whatever? I mean, how, how did you find Azori? So for me, it was a very special case because, you know, Byung, my cousin, has been had been living in Hong Kong for so many years and he had been involved into uh, football in various ways. Even before he knew I was coming, he prepared everything for me to join him in whatever football activities he was he was in. Back then, he was not involved yet at Zuri. But he was playing for Swiss Eleven. He was a playing member of Swiss Eleven. And that's the reason why, for me, paradoxically, I didn't know much about Hong Kong. I didn't really associate Hong Kong to football at all. But because my cousin was, was there and he knew my, my, my love and passion for football. So it was a very natural way for me to get into the football world right away. And I was actually very amazed of the way football was structured there. And it was a real surprise for me. When you arrive in Hong Kong, already the pitches are surrounded by magnificent urban landscape. Even at Pink's Park, I remember we were taking uh, shots with the drone and you could see the whole Kowloon area. And it was amazing. And you just realized, wow, I'm playing football in this environment, which uh, I was not used to back in France. But it, yeah, the, the introduction to football and Yayoi League to me was very natural. I actually discovered other leagues, such as Legal League, or I was even playing a few games in, uh, you know, hard ground local league, seven, seven aside football. Uh, yeah, refed by uh, local people. And I was going 
up to Chatine and other areas actually to play <laughs> with some friends on, on hard grounds as well. So I, I've played in a few different settings, but the way I joined football in Hong Kong was really natural through my cousin uh, Byung. Byung knew you were coming, obviously knew about your footballing talent and he was playing with Swiss and I guess as you arrived, he then moved on to Azori and that's when naturally you kind of went with him. That That's when you set up with, with Azori, is that correct? Because they were in Division 2 at the time. Uh, exactly. So Azori was playing in Division two and I arrived just at the end of the season so I was he registered me in Swiss 11 but I never was able to play a game I did a few trainings with the Swiss but I didn't really play a game actually at the end of that year he and Luca Torres uh, the uh, president of uh, Azuri they decided actually to take over the management as a president and uh, and Byung as a coach and naturally, I followed him. I, I, I was a playing member of Azuri to start with. So he went over to coach Lucas as, as you say, the president. So did you have any say in the selection or the team style with beyond being so close to you of cousins? Or I mean, I suppose this is a, an interesting conversation that, uh, uh, you know, maybe I can get beyond on at some point just to discuss why he decided to go into management from playing. Because as we spoke previously in the lead up to this, that the management and player coaches is, is a, a very difficult task to do. When beyond moved to Azori and set up were you just I'll go and play for you but I don't want to involve, be involved in any of the management just let me play my football or, or did you have a say in what was going on in formation tactics etc I was uh, just a player to be honest in the beginning and I didn't really uh, wanted or expected you know any uh, any further role in the, the club at that time of course I'm, I'm very close to Byung so he was asking me a lot my opinion when he was making his selection or his uh, tactical choices or we were debriefing and we were really Really spending a lot of time to, you know, discuss about what went right, what went wrong in the game. So he was relying and consulting me a lot. But in the first year, I was not really involved at all, you know, into uh, any kind of management. I was um, a normal player, but I, I was very involved, like emotionally and, you know, in the life of the group, for sure. But I didn't have, you know, any management role. It's only after, at the second year, I was being co-captain or like vice-captain with uh, Mehdi. I don't know if you if you knew yeah. Mehdi. Now, he's, yeah. uh, you know, he has moved to, uh, to, to the UK, but he was younger. He was also full of energy. He was much more regular also in terms of attendance than me. I was moving around for business as well uh, quite a bit at that time. And so it was very natural that he took over the, the role of captain, but I was there to support him. I was, I was uh, you know, a free ro role that is playing, but also trying to help whenever I could. And it's only in the last season that I played in uh, Hong Kong. So it was a season that went from uh, eight, 18, 19 season. It's the moment where we decided with Byung that I should actually officially assist him more into the coaching aspect of things and try to bring my, uh, you know, technical and tactical knowledge and try to help him into a bit more like yeah, the tactical and technical aspect of the coaching. And so uh, I started to co-coach or at least assist him, you know, in the coaching. I was managing a few uh, training sessions and I was also giving indications or, or, or you know, uh, guidelines before the games at trainings and stuff like that. So that was the last year only when I had a bit more active uh, management and, and, and training role into the club. I mean, I, I guess the relationship between uh, you and uh, B would have been a good partnership to work as a um, co-management in in that year. You not playing as much and uh, and our player as your as much as you enjoy both a player of your talent you know you, you can be doing both and when I used to see you on the sideline I used to think well you're a quality player you shouldn't really be on the sideline uh, you should be on the pitch my memory of Azori I didn't know nothing about this team and maybe you played in this game 
it was a cup game and we were Spartans in Division 1 mm-hmm. and I didn't know too much about Division 2 teams. I wasn't involved in the management there. I, I was a, or maybe I was. A, uh, Azori, they were doing well in the league. We knew that and we played them in the cup and as you know, in the, the cup games are a little bit shorter. My attitude certainly was it was a Division 2 team. We were going to roll these over. Yeah, we went to penalties and we got beaten penalties and I was absolutely gutted. I could not believe we'd, we'd been knocked out of the cup. You know, obviously B was quite happy and it was it was then when I really started to take notice. The training nights, I believe at the start, it may have been a Wednesday when we used to train. We did change it to a Tuesday because of the uh, Happy Valley races. As I've mentioned before, I used to look over at Azori. You guys used to do warm-ups right before you were due to get onto the pitch. You're very well organised. Your team numbers were always solid. You used to have 20 to 24, 25. I remember B having the whistle around his neck, stopwatch in his hand. And he was, you know, very, he looked, he looked very well organized and you look very efficient as a team. And I guess that year you went on to be promoted in Division One. So can you talk us through 2016, 17 season and what was so good about that season that allowed you to get the players together, be there every week, you know, avoid business trips or uh, weekends with a wife in a staycation or, or wherever it might be just because of their <laughs> birthdays. Like, all right, lads, we've got a league to win. The yeah. season's not long, uh, not not that long. So any of these overseas vacations or whatever, hold hold them up. And obviously you've done something special there to promote it. So do you want to start with that season yeah, uh, and sure. just talk us through it? I first, I, I remember this game because we were taking this game very seriously and we were very excited and we really wanted to show we, we were deserving to be in Div 1. That season that you're talking about, actually, we ended up undefeated. So we didn't lose a game. I think we did two draws and that's it. And we win the rest of... 17 wins, five draws, no five losses. Draws. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So 17 still wins, excellent. but still, yeah, still, still undefeated. I remember because we were bragging about that, that season. But to me, you know, like you, you touched a few points in what you just said, but it was a perfect combination. First, I think of, you know, the, the, the a good momentum in the cycle because Luca and Byung, took over. The first season was so-so. Actually, we were supposed, you know, the, the season before to to go up, but we had an administra- uh, administrative sanction because we made a player play, but he was not authorized because he was moving from Corinthians. That was a team that was removed and he joined us, but we didn't know that we couldn't sign a player after February. And so we lost all the points against Colloids at that time and Colloids went up and we uh, we were very frustrated that season. So the next season, we knew that we had all the quality to, you know, to go up to Division 1. The cycle was good because Byung and uh, Luca were really excited and the, the group was qualitative. You know, the players were individually very good. And as you mentioned, I was really amazed because for amateur football, and especially, you know, uh, we are talking about uh, players who are traders in their everyday life or, uh, you know, managing directors of uh, of the APAC region for their companies. Uh, I mean, they are guys with a lot of responsibility and busy guys, you know, and they were yeah. committed and we were almost like, you know, 20 at every training. And I remember B also was v- being very strict. Sometimes I think even too strict, but you know, we, but, but at least it kept us, in the, <laughs> at least it kept, it kept us, you know, in the dynamic of, uh, you know, uh, you don't want to be late. You want to start. And I remember our training sessions, you only have one and a half hour and you have half of, uh, of a pitch, right? We were actually uh, getting ready at least 15 minutes before the start of our session. So we were trying to warm up so that we make full use of, you know, that hour and a, and a half. And we were in div two, but. Honestly, we were at least, you know, every time 15, 16 regular members coming at training. And I think the point there is that it was never felt like an obligation. 
for us, it was, we had such a, a lovely group that we were really enjoying actually, you know, being there and uh, playing football with the mates. And, you know, actually, I like to say this to all my friends, like, like, I feel like my period of time in Hong Kong, I feel it was like a high school. But instead of going to school, you are going to work. And you know, the whole environment in Hong Kong, it's like, you just really don't care about anything. You finish work, you go with your, uh, with your friends to have a drink, to play football, or to, you go hiking, or you go to the league games on, uh, on Sundays. I mean, that dynamic was so amazing that the group atmosphere and the seriousness and we were amateur, but we wanted to be as committed and as disciplined as we could. And I think that's uh, the reason why the results were obviously not only good, but like excellent, you know, like without losing a game that season. I do believe it takes time to build that culture. So how did you, as a player, how did that, you think that culture built? And when you're saying that B was quite strict, I think there's a fine line at times where it, it isn't a professional job play. It's not your main job. So to get the guys committed who do have busy lives and maybe work until 7am in the morning till 8pm at night to then go over to King's Park and train with the strictness was be handing out fines or did he not play you because you had the strength in numbers he said right if you don't train you're not going to play how did you build up that culture over that period or over the I guess the season before and that season you know I think what helped us is that we were a majority of French guys first so that helps you also build a kind of uh, culture and like naturally that also you know kind of solidifies a sense of we were the what we call the Golua village you know the asterix village in a league full of uh, <laughs> english people you know you, have, you I, I think i think it helps also get you a, a kind of identity built around the, the 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 willingness to also represent france what what's funny about that league is that the french guy are playing for azuri even though now which was created by Italians, I think. Yeah. The Germans, I guess it was created by Germans, but it's, it's British guys now. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's fun to see, you know, how the identity of the, uh, each club has evolved. But I do feel like we had a kind of special connection also because the basis was French. That's for sure. And secondly, honestly, B was being strict in the way, you know, he was managing the team, but we didn't really have sanctions. You don't train, you don't come, then you don't play. It was really depending on the situation. If it was for work reason, we could still understand. There were some basic rules, but it was not too tight. Like it was more like impulsing a kind of discipline for everyone to know the rules and to, you know, comply with them. But it was not strict in the way where you, know, you, you would not forgive anything and real, you know, competitive professional team. I think it all goes back to the players and the players wanted it. The players really enjoyed the, the, the training sessions. One thing that we were doing, I remember we had some debates because we had this um, internal debates. Also, some players were willing to have more fun at trainings by doing much more games where you can have fun. I remember B has always been willing to work sessions around touching the ball, around mini games. It was a lot of those, you know. And so it helps you also do not consider your only training session in the week as a place where you are going to go there and run. So I guess uh, that's also played a role into keeping the, the players in the right mentality. And I remember I was uh, there was this guy one day, uh, the last season when I was uh, staying there, one day we, we, we had a few drinks and uh, he was telling me, you know, Jay, in my job, I have like hundreds of uh, people reporting to me. But when I come to Azuri, I listen to you guys, B and J. I, and I want to be coachable. 
And I remember he he used that word scotchable, and we were making fun of uh, of these guys after because he was a bit drink and he was uh, he, he was saying this. So I was imitating him in front of the friends. But actually, it touched me because when you have actually people who have a lot of responsibility, but they have the humility when they come on a football pitch to accept that they trust you and they are going to listen to you. They come and they ask you for advices. A lot of times during the week, I was, you know, uh, WhatsApping other guys. Sometimes they were asking me, hey, Jay, in this situation, what do you think I should do? You remember at the game, I was defending and the winger, you know, was really wide. What should I do? Shall I stay on him or shall I come back a little bit in the middle? You know, all those questions. Actually, they were so into the game and willing to, to learn because in amateur football football team, you always have, the case where people like me or Boyer that you know, we used to play at a certain level, but also you have guys who have never played in a football club, but they are just really so passionate about it. But they had the humility to, to actually listen and to, 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 to want to learn. And, and I think that's the most important actually in amateur football. If you don't have the right mindset, starting from the players, how are you going to coach your friends actually, you know, uh, guys you are going to have a drink with and stuff like that. And uh, whenever they're on the pitch, they have to respect you and they have to listen to you, you know? And that's actually what the players gave to the coach, I think. Yeah, and I think that's that's important throughout the teams in in the Yaoi. You do have key players, players who are ball players, like you mentioned, you know, yourself and, and Boye. And then you'll have players who are passionate and they get themselves in good shape. They may not have the best positional play, but they can work on being uh, being fit and then ask questions about where they need to stand on the pitch. And then I guess throughout the season, their, their touches will get better. But who were the key players for you then? Who were the players that were the ball players and who were the, the guys? So the guys who were asking the questions for that season that you won, who is it that you remember? You know, without that player, we wouldn't have maybe gone and scored that last goal or we wouldn't have been able to to keep these clean sheets. So who were the key players in your Azuri lineup for the 16-17 season? Oh, 16-17 season, we had a few like very important players. I think uh, our captain Mehdi was a very important player because he was very skilled and uh, he was playing, you know, right back. And we could really build up from the back and start, you know, organizing the game through him. He had a very good pass accuracy, good uh, game vision. So he was an important player. The other one, Kevin, uh, that is at Albion now, uh, was such a solid defender that he was providing the kind of serenity that you need. You know, that team is going to be strong. We had a few other players, but Boyer was not joined, uh, was not there yet. But we had this guy who was a young guy who didn't stay long. He was a left-footed guy called Baptiste, and he used to play at also a very high level, you know. It was a little bit like Boyer, actually. Uh, he was a guy who played at a very competitive level in uh, in, uh, in France, and he, he came here for work, I think, for uh, on a, he only stayed a few months, and then he left, but he was such an amazing player. He was playing on the as, as a winger, and he was always the X factor, you know. He was the guy who was creating the differences, uh, who could dribble two, three guys, and to, you know, just cross the ball for, for you to push it in the net. And uh, he, he was an amazing player. So I, I think he, he was uh, those players who were, uh, you know, the artisan of, uh, you know, our, our, our good results. And uh, I could include myself there too, because I had an important role to play in the midfield. I was always trying to, to, uh, to, to control the rhythm of the game and to provide a few passes that would uh, create some differences. For that season, I think those are the players that like, I, I, I remember as being the, uh, the, the key players. And who's your goalkeeper? Uh, goalkeeper, at that time, I'm not sure whether Alessio joined us that season. Maybe not. I think before, ah, 
that season actually it was uh, Cyril Cyril Artner you know the the keeper that went back to Swiss after uh, Cyril Cyril yeah. did a good season as well huh? he helped us a lot keeper. exactly uh, strong character a strong personality but to have a very motivational speech before we start the game yeah he was he was our goalkeeper goalkeepers that talk are, are worth points and a good goalkeeper in your, your team throughout the season you know just takes that one or two top class saves which prevent a draw you know last minute of the game and a corner for example you're under a bit of pressure one of the, the opposition strikes the, the keeper pulls out a, a worldy save uh, and saves you from a draw so I do think having a good goalkeeper every week at amateur football is, is certainly important so when you went from from uh, when you won the league big jump Mm -hmm. I guess was oh, it a big jump going into Division One, and and did you recruit before? Because looking at the table, you finished just above rele well, not so much relegation, but you won seven games that season, eleven losses. So it's a big difference between obviously not not being beaten. When you suffered that first defeat in the top division, do you remember that? And honestly, I was feeling it was two different worlds, to be honest. And and there is a reason why you have a lot of teams that go up and come back right away. You know the I th I think it's uh, it's not even actually it's div two div one, but there's more than one level difference. You know the, the the physical challenge and the rhythm and the intensity of the games is completely different. You have also a lot of teams composed of Western guys. So the the while in division two you have I think more than half of the team are local teams, and so they play a football that is very different. They play calm football, short passes. And it's easier for us, you know, a club like, like Azuri, a team like Azuri to play against uh, those. But as we arrived in Div 1, the first game we play in Div 1, we take 6-0 against KCC. And we start the season like this. So it's a big slap we take in the face. We actually, it was strange because we actually didn't have the feeling that we did a bad game, but you end up at 6-0. Do you remember there is a, uh, maybe you were not there at Albion. But there is another game we, we also lose 6-0 against Albion at the football club. You were there. Yeah, but honestly, bad. that game, I didn't think that we played bad. That's exactly the, the, the same typology of the game. You, you make a few mistakes, you pay them cash, you don't score your goals and you end up, you know, at 6-0. And we realized that give one, if you don't score the chances that you have because you, you, you struggle to get them and you make easy mistakes that gives one or two goals, then it's game over, you know, you can, you cannot win these games. And it was a big gap that we realized back then. Honestly, I don't think that it was a question of quality of the team, individual quality. Obviously, we didn't have the squad that, uh, you know, Albion or, 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 or Wanderers that year were really, really strong. We had Rich Mayton then, who was absolutely on fire that season. And, and the game, you may, I think he may have scored a hat-trick that game. You're right, the game wasn't so much a 6-0 game. Rich was, he just finished. He finished his chances. Finished everything, yeah. yeah. I remember there was a 3-0 at, at halftime. I think he scored like two goals with the header, uh, a random cross, boom. He's, he puts everything in. And I remember first half, we were hitting the, the, the crossbar twice, I think, or something like this, you know? You know where the game is going? It's uh, small details and we could feel it as we arrived in Div 1. That was another world, another another level than, than Div 2. But that's, you know, that's the way it is. Huh? And we had to learn about it. And I think we had actually worse result than what we deserved. But I think we would have deserved to be a bit more towards the middle of the ranking that season. So you saw that season as a learning curve and just getting a grip of the difference between what you're saying, playing the local teams and playing what sometimes very good UK Sunday league sides physical setting up as you know fast wingers that kind of style of playing like you say very physical so a very different 
to what Azoria uh, may have been used to. So then what did you do for the following season to ensure that you were ready for those kind of physical battles against top teams like Wanderers, Albion, uh, and even Colts that season had a great team? Yeah, exactly. But what we try to do is we try not to fight with weapons that we don't have. We knew that if we go into the physical challenge, I mean, you have to fight for it, but you cannot rely on an identity or a weapon that you don't have. We knew that our way of win- winning had to be through short passes, had, had to be through keeping the ball, taking the, uh, you know, our time to build up, not lose the ball, pass and move. And like, we knew that our identity in that aspect of h- how we should play football had to be reinforced, you know? So uh, we had a lot of that. So the second season, Div 1, is season when I joined B as uh, like helping him into like more the tactical and technical aspects of uh, how we should play. And we tried to also do things such as we were actually giving instructions to each position and we were trying to work uh, scenarios where, okay, if you have the ball here and the game is here, what options do you have? Where where should you play the ball? What should you do after you give the ball? So we were trying to break it down into situations. And even at training, we were rehearsing that. For example, we were playing goal kick with a keeper and where the defenders need to be push up the, the fullbacks a little bit. Uh, the number six can drop to come into the space, etc., etc. So we were actually trying to just make sure that we reinforce our habits into uh, a build-up football and into actually trying to stay compact and through short passes, have the whole team move up and down. Because what's really hard when you play against physical teams is usually they they send a lot of long balls. So when your team is not compact, you keep running, actually. So they send the ball (laughs) towards the winger, who is usually a a very skilled and and, and quick guy. And your fullback is is screaming SOS because, uh, you know, he has to run after it and the the team is is up. So there were areas of the the pitch where you shouldn't lose the ball and we were trying to give those small tips to each player at each position so that we can actually improve a little bit our collective games. Because I've always been con- convinced that you have a training of an hour and a half in one week. Sometimes you arrive at the game and the only moment where you have touched the ball with your feet is at that training for one hour and a half. And then you come and you play a game. How can you be good and easy with the ball? The, the parameters of amateur football makes it always made me believe that you can never really drastically make a guy improve technically, but you can try to work on other things such as being a bit more smart, working on where you should be positioned in the pitch, just quick mechanisms such as when you give the ball, always offer a solution. Because in a lot of cases, our first season, because of the intensity and because of everything we were lacking players were coming to ask for the ball that attitude we had to change and we had to create some kind of habits things that you know what to do in certain situations so that it's quick tips two three tips that the guy is taking on just to improve and i remember you know i was like because i I love to do that as well but i was sending clips video clips of images of champions league games or like premier league games and i was extracting a few things And I was actually showing, uh, sending into the group for everyone to actually watch with comments saying, look at how Man City is building from the back. Obviously, you know, (laughs) like it's very difficult to imitate, you know, that that level. But I wanted to give some indications of, you know, watching football a bit with a a bit more smarter eyes and try to understand what is in your possibility that you can just improve a little bit better. Margin of improvement, I've always believed, is not really on your technical side. I mean, technical side, unless you train every day, if you control three balls good 
out of five, you cannot really take a guy and he's going to control all his balls uh, perfectly. We were trying to work on those things where we thought like uh, it was, uh, you could actually improve. There's a lot there, Jay. And during my coaching time in Hong Kong, I've done similar things, but a lot of the stuff you're talking about, that takes so much time, especially the, the video clips and the, those kind of comparisons to teams. And where did you find the time to do that? Or how did you find the time to do that? No, honestly, you, you, you don't find it. Huh? You, you, you have to make it. <laughs> so uh, that season, I was also very motivated, actually, because, you know, it was one of my first actual co coaching experience also, because I've always been a player. And before that, I didn't really, I was just enjoying playing. And it's only uh, during my time in uh, Hong Kong where I started to actually take pleasure of analyzing our games and looking also games on TV a bit differently. And so I actually just forced myself to, 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 to find time. And it was sometimes not easy. So when I really didn't have time, I couldn't do it, but I tried to do it on a regular basis, but also because it was a pleasure for me. It's a lot of free time invested. And I'd imagine then the expectations come there and come Wednesday, the lads are probably saying to you, hey, Jay, where, where, where are these videos? You, you've not sent them yet. I want, I want to see the clips. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For that season then, so what games do you remember from that season, which you feel like, oh, this was a good game because you finished mid-table, so it was better than the season before. So what was it, you know, what were you missing? What we were missing or? Like uh, so, th there is one game that I always take as a reference game, and you guys talked about it last time. It's the game we won four zero against Spartans. Yeah, hearing from the other side. Yes, exactly, and and that game was such a, a pleasure for us because honestly, it was our best football that season. That was the game where I felt like our team was the most accomplished, where we could find find each other very easily. And that game, actually, it was the first time we were we were going back tactical formation of four four two, but with a diamond in the middle. You know, actually tried a few things that we were feeling. Kevin played in the midfield, who was our central defender. I was playing number six. Yeah, Kevin played box to box, and uh, and Boyer number ten. Do you have this on video? I don't think we taped that video and I don't want to give you, I don't want to give Kevin opportunities to, to, to come and complain to you that he needs to play in the pos other position. But honestly, that was also a bet that we were making because we were feeling that Boya as a number 10, me as a number six, we could be a, a good structure and that we had other options in the back as well, uh, focusing on defense and we could feel like Kevin could have uh, yeah, good input uh, in the midfield. He's very good in the air. He can tackle. He's got exactly. great... Yeah. He was helping me on the defensive side and I could focus more on, on, on building the game. So so that worked very well and it was a pleasure for us because honestly, we were always playing 4-3-3 normally. And for that game, we said, look, we need to keep the ball and we need to be much more dense in the midfield. So let's go back to four in the midfield. And instead of uh, trying to play too wide, let's really bring presence in the middle. And that's why we, we, we went with this di uh, diamond shape. You know, when you try to apply something and it goes the way you want to, and the result is there, especially against Spartans that were actually, I, I think at that time, they were leading the, the league. They're undefeated. Yeah, yeah. So so for us, it was such a good accomplishment. We were very happy about, about that game. So that was the key game of the season for us. What was the talk and the feelings afterwards? Because you're not playing at that stage of the season to compete in a league and to win the league or even to stay in the league because you had enough points on the board to to be safe. So what was the feeling in the camp after then? You, you've obviously mentioned how good you played, but what was the talk that week? The talk obviously was very positive and we all really felt very proud because that game was 
somehow the justification that even though we were lacking consistency and regularity in our performances, but when we would play well, we could beat the top of the League 4-0. So the, the, the feeling of pride and accomplishment was really, really very strong. And obviously the, the message was, was, was very positive and a moment of joy that we felt. I can't exactly remember what was the speech back then because there was not much to talk about. When, when you come out such a good performance, I think it goes without saying that, uh, you know, the atmosphere is, is good. But you're right. At that moment of the season, we were not really playing anything special because we, I think we knew that we are going to stay division unless we start to lose all our games. We knew that we are not going to be top of the league. But, you know, for us, it was doing better than the season before. That was also an important thing for us and also show the teams on top, disturbed teams on top, make good performances against the Albion, Wanderers, Spartans and so on and so on. So that was uh, more, you know, of an objective that we had uh, with the season going on. Well, that season then was was the kind of last full season that we had. We'll skip because you you actually left that you left that year, didn't you? Then so after that season, you moved uh, moved away back to Korea. Am I correct? Yes, exactly. But I, obviously, I've been following the results. I have I haven't seen them play, but I have been following also. You know the transition. So you know now uh, Olivier is the new coach since uh, that season after when I left. Byung and Luca are still uh, in, the, in in the management, but the coaching they have given it to Olivier who was the coach of KCC. I think they spent that first season as a transition period. Coach changes, a lot of players also left. It was that year, you know, uh, when uh, there was a, a, a huge uh, migration to Albion as well. This year is probably the, the strongest year they've had. And so the season's been on hold at the moment, but they're doing incredibly, the second in the league at the moment, they're doing incredibly well. Culture and the identity of the team is very different. You have, it's it's now, I've seen a picture, like it was so international, you know. You have uh, players who are from uh, African origin, Nepalese origin. You have everyone there. The atmosphere and the culture of the club has changed but I feel also that uh, after a season of transition now they are back to to be really uh, really performant and they have found a good way of uh, of playing and, I, and I'm sure that they will do uh, very well this season yeah I mean they're doing they're doing extremely well at the moment so we haven't played them we haven't played them yet so we're due to play them whenever we get started again whether depending on what the league do with their fixtures but we haven't yeah we haven't come across Azuri yet and they're a team to be you know to want to watch they're certainly doing well at the moment they've lost three games only but sitting quite quite comfortably they're second in the league at the moment so whatever they're doing they're doing something you know they're doing something right you know, it's not hard, it's not easy, huh? as you can imagine. When you lose so many players from your squad, uh, I mean, the main players left. You have to rebuild from there, and so uh, it, it's really not easy. But the way they have been able to to build back a performing team, it's uh, it's it's amazing. And I'm sure that the team today is better than the, than the, when I used to play. Yeah, and you know, I had a similar situation with Albion when I first arrived. There, uh, there was, I would say, eight nine players. A lot of the players who'd played for numerous years were decided not to play anymore or they decided to one or two maybe may have moved on to the first team so the actual squad there was quite depleted as well which is why it was it was quite a rough season that first season we weren't I think we were sitting fourth from the bottom at one point and then managed to just after Christmas to pull a few players together and uh, and go on a decent run but one thing also honestly the football club teams have always a natural advantage, you know, when it comes to, I think, bring, bringing players because of the installations, because of, uh, you know, I was always making jokes. I was like, you guys have free hair conditioner, you know, in the shower and you don't have to bring towels. I was joking. <laughs> I was joking around that, but, you know, I was making those jokes to say, 
I would go to play for the football club only for the conditioner, you know. I don't even have conditioner at home, but there I can use it for free, you know. So I was making these kind of jokes, but jokes aside, I mean, the installations and the, the, the context is so, so beautiful, you know. You know, I've seen both sides of it now, and certainly I, I can certainly see why why players do choose to do that. But I also understand why players don't choose to to go to the club, why they get drawn into clubs like Azori, stay and and you say you build a culture and they work long hours and that they want to go to training afterwards because they don't want to miss that training because they they don't want to let the friends down. So I can also see how it how it works on on both sides now. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So that that's the beauty of the Yaoi League because I find it really honest. Nick, even before arriving in, in Hong Kong, when I was playing at a quite decent regional level in France, sometimes you don't even have three referees. I mean, I, starting from a certain point, you know, you, you have them, but sometimes you play in the regional league, you don't have three referees. And in Yaoi League, even the D4, I think, have always three referees, you know, and you can't imagine the number of trouble that you solve just by having, uh, you know, linesmen. You know, football, amateur football, you know, like the offside, everyone is raising their hands and acting like they can uh, be assisted by the VAR, you know. But that's the, the beauty of Hong Kong and the way the league is structured. The fact that you have an installation like uh, Kings Park and the football club in the middle of the city. We say when you live in Hong Kong, you say, oh, you have to go up to Kings Park. But when you live in Seoul and you have to play football and you have to go uh, 40, 40 kilometers, sometimes one, one hour and a half, two hours just to play a game because otherwise you don't have options, then you understand how lucky and how privileged well, you, are, you are when you are in, uh, in, in Hong Kong, honestly. And even the, the D1 of Yaoi League is a, is a good level football, very passionate people, nice guys, always, you know, very competitive. But in the same time, you know, when you meet those guys outside, you have fun with them, you make jokes. And like I've met so many friends through uh, football in Hong Kong. Uh, that, it's amazing, you know, like the, the, the football scene, I've always thought it uh, really uh, very enriching, I would say. Yeah, and I think you're right that when you go out for, for drinks and, and you bump into other players from teams, it's just great talking about the games because it's so small Hong Kong and you do get to, to see each other and bump into each other on a, on a night out. And I, I feel like the league has always had, uh, you know, clear rules. You can regret sometimes that uh, when 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 it goes against you, uh, you're always a bit disappointed. But I haven't seen. That's the reason why I'm saying like football, amateur football in Hong Kong is well structured, well managed, and it it goes well for so many years. Uh, and I think it's because it has been managed in a way where you know you know the rules. It's always very clear and it's well organized. And well, the website could be a little bit more better designed, but at least you go there, you find all the statistics. Sometimes you go there, you type your name and you see how many uh, game appearances you have, you've, you have had, you know, the number of goals you scored and stuff like that. It's amazing. To be honest, it's a luxury that we tend to forget that doesn't exist in other countries and even in countries like uh, advanced like uh, France, you know. Yeah, it's, it's certainly well uh, well managed, and and I think I agree with you with the website layout. It's that red color burns your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the photos on there, even from the committee, are, are quite old. I think John, or the chairman's got hair on on his photo. That must have been a long time ago. So Jay, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you giving up your time. I know it's late where you are right now, and you've had a long, busy day. So just like being back in Hong Kong when you were managing or coaching out here and playing you've long nights and um looking at football videos and, and helping your team be successful hours of voluntary work i'm sure it's appreciated by your boys um but as i said there's so much more we could talk about and maybe we'll save that for another episode 
but it's been a pleasure. I said thanks for thanks for sharing your memories with us. Thank you very much, Nick. It was a pleasure. <laughs>